0: Good afternoon. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. Here's what we won't be talking about today, the Supreme Court decision on President Obama's Affordable Care Act and whether the individual mandate is constitutional. That's because the Supreme Court ruling did not come down today, and that's too bad. I and mean, It looks like it's a come-down Thursday, but President Obama is actually in town today for a whole bunch of fundraisers, including one at Symphony Hall this afternoon which explains why the city isn't tied up in knots, but it would have been quite a zoo over there had that ruling come down. But we've got plenty to go over in our politics as usual segment today. There was a ruling about that controversial Arizona immigration law. And, of course, we have a stew of local events from Whitey Bulger's attorneys asking today for a year postponement postponement of his trial and the continued plight of Sal DeMacy, who's in prison in North Carolina, undergoing a rigorous treatment for for tongue cancer. I'm joined here in the studio by former Massachusetts Congressman Peter Blute and Boston Globe columnist Joan Venacchi. I, mean. All right. I said I wasn't going to talk about this, but you know the Supreme Court has that decision ready to go. Why don't they just release it already? Oh, it's like they're just sitting on it. They, they they released a whole bunch of other ones today, and now they've essentially said they're going to release it Thursday.
1: You know what I'm amazed at is in this modern world of ours yeah. where everything is leaked out, they have a solid wall here. How is that, how that possible, Joan? It? Come on.
2: <laughs> I I you, you guys I don't, don't have that. I thought the same thing as I was driving into work, saying somebody must know, and there's got to be a leak somewhere. But I had a feeling that they just figured that if the health care thing came down to— today that we'd all ignore everything else and they want us to, you know, People to pay attention mean? to their other decisions. The other decisions well, there's yes. some
0: good ones that came down today too, and, and that's they are important.
2: True. Fa- you know, they are important issues, and and they just would have gotten lost mm-hmm. in the dust.
0: Yeah, that's the end of the old days. Remember when JAMA used to write these things and say, "Oh, uh, this is uh, you know, embargoed until Thursday." I Meanwhile, well, you had the thing right there. <laughs> Somebody had to have written the thing. I mean, you know, there's 50 authors the printers, involved. In I mean, come everything. on, yeah.
1: Somebody it's... said that uh, Warren Berger fired the printing company years ago because really? he suspected they leaked something out and said. Since then everyone's been tight-lipped. I'm sure there's good
0: money in that leaking.
2: (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't work anywhere else in politics, so... You know,
0: know, actually, the the Arizona um, immigration law is fascinating, but the one that struck me the most was, and this has been consistent with what the Supreme Court has done in recent years, but it's this law over uh, no mandatory life without parole for juveniles, and that's um, people 18 and younger who have committed a heinous crime, murder among them. This could affect that case last week in Dorchester because one of the kids, uh, I think uh, Joshua Fernandez, who's 18 now, he was 16, maybe 15 at the time of the horrible murder of that 14-year-old um, uh, Fomby Davis, uh, uh, Nicholas Bombie Davis. So I, I assume these, this has to be retroactive because those guys got life without parole, mandatory life without parole last week. So are are they all... Retroactive, all these guys, all these young people. I don't know the legal on...
1: thing considerations, but I do th- think that this is a reversal of what had been a trend of cracking down harder and harder on younger and younger people. Uh, everybody gets treated as an adult if they commit an adult crime. That had been the trend, and now it looks like the court's backing away from that.
2: I think it's a good thing. I, I mean, do too. the idea that at fourteen. Or, you know, between 14 and 18, that a person is hopeless and that all you could give them is life or, you know, a, a, even a heinous crime. I'm on the Supreme Court side on this one.
0: Apparently, judges still are going to have some kind of discretion, though, to hand out juveniles' uh, um, sentences. to. They can, if they want, in certain cases. But I'm not sure how that works when there's a – I said 18 under – it's under 18, sorry – Under eighteen, not eighteen and under. So anybody under eighteen who committed one of these crimes when they were seventeen, essentially, um, won't be.
2: It could be, you know, an economic question as much as anything else. I think even the toughest on crime, you know, policy people have realized that this comes at a great. Cost to states to throw people in prison for life, and and that that's another consideration. Yeah. You think in all that's of an this? issue?
0: I don't think that's a consideration. Uh, I think it's more the, the what you just said. Which well, is really I hope about, that it's. I'll really, take the high road on it, but I think there's always hopeless. an economic
2: piece to it. Yeah, it
1: you think of the much. Morgan Freeman character in Shawshank. You watch that you know? again on Friday it's a great night. Film. Please stop me now. I know it's, you can't just just it. click it away when, when it's on. <laughs> but but he was a guy who was convicted of killing somebody at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And then his whole life, he was going to have to be subsidized by the state of. I think it was. But it
0: wasn't the money, you know. But seriously,
2: it is a question of resources too. What would you rather spend your money on—just keeping somebody in prison for life, or maybe some sort of, you know, hope of rehabilitation?
0: Well, that's the way I feel about almost everybody in prison. But you know, it's—you know—we've got so many people in prison now. You start cherry picking the ones that are, you know, worth some sort of salvation. I don't even know how you go about it. Um, I, I think th- this is consistent with other rulings. I think they set aside capital punishment for juveniles in 2010. Yes. So they have been, despite the fact that they've been cracking down on certain cases. In the legislatures. And it's still up to the state, as I understand it, whether to try a juvenile as an adult.
1: Yes. They can't really weigh in on that. The prosecutors t- can decide that, yeah. Is it prosecutor or a judge? I think I think the prosecutors can bring the, the charges against uh, a juvenile uh, as an adult if, yeah. if they see it, uh, the, the crime they, to be like so what, heinous. Like what they did yeah. with these
0: kids last week, yeah. You know, the all right, so the immigration rule, basically this was, you know, the stop and check system that uh, Arizona instituted a few years ago where there, you could stop somebody for some minor violation and then check their um, IDs. Basically, they upheld that.
1: Yeah, I, and I think it makes sense. I think the, the decision is kind of interesting where it protected federal prerogatives. This is our area of of uh, jurisdiction. but the local police have to, you know, know who they're dealing with. They have to know, is this person an illegal immigrant from somewhere else who has violated our laws in another area that we're dealing with? And just to look away, I think, is not good.
2: Well, they kind of threaded the needle a bit, right, in in upholding that piece of it and then um, striking down other pieces of it. But it it kind of goes with the uh, policy of the Obama administration with secure communities, secure communities yes. where, again, it's allowing local police to look at people and make a decision and try to find out more about them. Fill
1: out the picture. Fill out yeah, the Which picture. is their job, to be inquisitive, exactly. to see what the situation really is.
2: It does raise all kinds of issues about racial profiling and uh, – but – that's another topic.
0: Yeah, I know. So they can still stop and check people. They just can't.
1: I think they have to stop plant. them in, in, uh, for something else, whether yeah. it's a, a headlight or speeding. They can't control. Or, they can't create their own immigration no, laws. No, then that policies. would be illegal.
0: All right. Um, so the Citizens United thing. I know you wrote about campaign finance over the weekend, John. I want to get into this, but they, they, they look they look at a piece of this Citizens United. This is a, sort of the catchphrase for these giant packs that basically the Supreme Court ruled on this years ago, a couple years ago, that it's legal to raise all kinds of, you know, phantasmagorical sums of money under the name of a one-pack and then disperse it essentially any way you want. So... Now they're ruling that the Citizens United thing can, can apply it to state and local elections as well. Meanwhile, they are scheduled to hear a complete review of this entire Citizens United uh, thing next year. But, Joan, it goes to the heart of what you were writing about this weekend, and it's happening in Boston today. You were talking about this fundraiser that Sarah Jessica Parker had for $36,000 a plate. I mean, that's what the one today is, too, I think.
2: Well, there. Are, I don't claim to be the expert on campaign finance here, and, and Peter, you probably know more about the details than I do. But, I mean, the Citizens United ruling basically said that corporations are people, yeah. that they have <laughs> first right. – amaz- and he, Mitt Romney agrees with that one, yeah. as we know – that they have First Amendment rights. And um, one way of expressing your First Amendment right is to contribute money. So there's no limit on how much money – corporate entities can raise on behalf of a candidate. Thus, out of that ruling has come all these super PACs, where they don't have to even disclose the sources yeah, of the money, and they've the kind key. of unleashed all of these outside advertising campaigns, um, the Romney campaign's doing against Obama, and Obama now is trying to find super PACs willing to do it on behalf of himself. Um, you know, what's happening tonight in Boston isn't anything to do with super PACs. No. Those are just, just
0: flat-out fundraisers
2: individuals who are contributing to a campaign. And, um, you know, they've been doing that for a long time, right? <laughs> it's
1: really turned into a missile race. Yeah. You know, he, he's got some more than us, so I have to go get more, and then he gets more, I, and it just builds. don't
2: understand it, though, because
0: <clears throat> there's a limit on what an individual can contribute directly to a campaign still. How can you write a check, you know, for a dinner? How, how does that work? Is that to the party? Is it?
1: Yeah, there are different uh, uh, buckets. 36,000. There's different buckets where the money can go into. The party gets some, you chop it up, an individual campaign gets some, and then other groups get some. I think Joan made a very good point in her article uh, the other day that a turning point in campaign finance reform, and I was an old Marty Meehan campaign finance reformer, thought that we could limit it. The turning point was when Obama turned his back on public financing. He basically said, no, i got to go for the gold, and I'm going to. After that, I think... At the time, though, the gold
2: was... Many, many individuals who were giving small amounts, and he was so hot, and people were so in love with the idea of Barack Obama the candidate, that I mean there was obviously you know rich people giving to him as well, but it was more like the average person i 'm forgetting the numbers now, but they raised more small you know uh, mm-hmm. category donations from more people than any other presidential candidate ever had before. Now you know some of the passion for Obama has cooled. Uh, the small donor isn't so much a part of the picture anymore, and it's the George Clooney's of the world or the Sarah Jessica Parkers of the world who are you know holding these forty thousand dollar a night, forty thousand dollar a person. All the one percent is weighing in.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but how does that work? <laughs> You're writing the money to the party, and that doesn't count as a as a gift to Obama. I,
1: I think it chop they chop it up. So if you gave say thirty thousand or fifty thousand. The campaign can say, okay, here's how we're going to allocate that. This goes into there, meet that legal standard. Then this can go into the state party and it will help us, and this can go elsewhere.
2: I mean, it's all all legal. I mean, they wouldn't be doing it if it weren't. You need a campaign finance expert to tell you how exactly they break it up. Well, you can
0: donate. I understand you can donate unlimited amount to a party, which I don't understand that either. I mean – I, I, Peter, have we just lost this? I mean, just give up. It's just like – it's all about the money.
1: I, I was speaking to uh, one of my former colleagues down there, and he was in a tough re-election fight. And he said, I wish I had one of them there super packed. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, what it does is it liberates you from having to go negative. Right. Uh, so you can get some other entity with, with not your yeah. name on it mm-hmm. who can beat the living daylights mm-hmm. out of your opponent and leave a bad impression with the voters. Meanwhile, you can do, be positive with your money. Right. This dichotomy is really
2: that's why Emma, the the. Um, uh... The deal that uh, Elizabeth Warren and Scott yeah. Brown struck really is an anomaly. It's, it is an It's anomalies. the only it's race in the country where they have, you know, decided or said we're not going to use super PACs. We're not going to let outside parties weigh in. It would be really interesting to see if they stick with it. And I guess at this point they have to because the first one that breaks it will we'll be making headlines. Now, if one of them were to go negative, it's under their name. I, Elizabeth Warren, approved this message.
1: I, Scott Brown, approve this message. And you Scott do drive Brown, up your
2: negatives if you, this if you have ads so like that. it's really it's, – it's it's interesting. You, know, wait
0: a you don't have to put your name on if if somebody else, if a third party does that, like the Republican Governors Association. But what I'm saying is, to, they've decided it doesn't have to put their name on. They have no, ag- no. they have
2: agreed not to let right. outside entities pact. weigh no, no. in on their campaigns.
0: But they would never have to associate with it. I mean,
2: no, no. But I'm saying now, yeah, under the terms of their deal, as I understand, and it, a penalty. Should one of them decide, yes, I'm going to go negative. I, I Elizabeth Warren, I'm going to. Run a negative ad against Scott Brown, it would say, I approve this message. Oh, just a. Right.
1: But, 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 and remember, Weld Carey had a similar deal that broke down in the final weeks because it was so close, so high stakes. They basically, both camps said, out ah, the hell with that deal. And yeah. that could happen in this race. There could be, you know, that moment when it doesn't make sense.
2: Right. They say, forget the promise. If somebody's yeah. falling yeah. behind or if there's a problem. Winning is everything. Right. We'll do what we have to do.
0: Talking to Joan Vinocchi from Boston Globe and Peter Blutz, a former congressman, I should say now. He's the deputy chair of the state uh, GOP party. But, I mean, even right now, they didn't make a pledge, as I understand it. To not go negative, they they could do negative ads about each no. other.
2: They right. took a they, they agreed not to Take let this, outside yeah. parties advertise in their radio. For example,
1: you could imagine what Carl Rove's group could yeah. do to the Elizabeth Warren yes. Native American. They contours. will do it. I
0: or, guarantee they will do or it.
2: Or what an outside pack could do to Scott Brown's secret meetings with kings and queens, yeah, which is right. Uh,
0: a little more frivolous in my mind than the other thing. Kind of like. well,
2: they're both grounds for some pretty good at negative advertising. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and sure it'd be are. easier to have an outside person do it rather than you, the candidate, go after directly.
1: You know what I've always been surprised at is that people believe these ads. If Coke, Coke <laughs> came out and attacked Pepsi, wouldn't you roll your eyes and go, well, they have a reason for doing it? I, I, I don't know how people well, believe Well, sometimes they ads.
2: reinforce Stereotypes, you know, just sort of feelings that you have about a candidate. And I actually think that ads done with humor are, are a lot
1: more effective than yes. the real.
2: Everyone has heard the whispery voices and the scary music. I, I think they don't work as well as they used
1: to. I remember the first ad that was run against me, negative ad, when I ran against an incumbent. Was it whispery? What's that? Was it a whispery voice? Oh, yeah, the <laughs> low voice. Peter Blue. It was so <laughs> rough. My sister cried. Aww. Yeah, one of my sisters. That's you can remember brother. what it That's was. That's not my brother they're talking about. That's to so this. funny. I Did you it, win that yet? It yes. Oh, oh <laughs> yes. so it didn't work. It, it, it didn't work, but it was nasty and it's tough and it's hard to watch that if you're just a kind of family member who's. You, you don't recognize the person they're talking about. You
0: know? right. Yeah. The, the one that didn't work, the that dramatic one, was the one that Carrie Healy ran, the uh, the, the, ben the Rivera, Garage. The rapist one in yeah. the garage. I mean, that was pretty scary.
2: Well, in the last. Days like sort of the last desperate days of the Coakley Brown showdown, and I think it were oh, yeah, was so it outside is. groups they, they were bombarding Scott Brown with kind of negative advertising. Really that, bad that stuff didn't too. That didn't work at all. So yeah,
1: I, if I it think goes too it, far, it's overkill, and it doesn't have the ring of truth. People, it, it has a negative. Uh, right.
2: If every time you turn on the TV and all there is is this barrage of negative nonsense, I think you know it just loses its effectiveness.
0: All right. So the thing that no one's talking about. And that, my contention is because nobody gets it. Is this fast and furious dust up with uh, um, Attorney General Eric Holder, who's now been held in in contempt? Other than Fox News, (laughs) nobody's paying attention to it because it's unclear. I mean,
1: it's complicated. There's no doubt about it. I was on the Government Reform and Oversight Committee, we looked into Waco. And and it gets complicated. There's a lot of documents, a lot. And the the administration is holding back. We had that happen with Janet Reno. Uh, And eventually you try to get the documents. Uh, I think they'll come to a deal before this vote next week. I hope they do.
2: Well, I think the details for the moment have escaped the general public, and I'd I'd include me in that. No, I not I'm not sure. No, I,
0: don't, well, I'm not I mean, it has dumb. to do with gun traffickers. But, yeah, it was, the they bottom. they
1: tried to plant uh, some uh, guns to try to follow them, yeah. and almost like you would follow. But it
2: just feels
1: they were like, trying to track weapons. It just yeah, exactly. feels
2: like another political attack. I mean, that they're going after the attorney general, the Republicans in an election year. It just feels like more of the same. And I just, again, I mean, I kind of doubt uh, the effectiveness of, of that attack at this point. Outside of Fox News,
0: only because nobody gets it. If they got it, you know, maybe it would be effective. If there's some
2: smoking gun out of the, fast I mean, they were trying furious. to do the
0: right thing. They were trying to track these guns and how they get into the hands of you know, exactly. drug cartels and all that. And meanwhile, they, some federal they agent got, got murdered, killed a, yeah.
1: and, and his family is speaking out, which makes it an emotional uh, issue. It is too complicated to explain. You know, very short in very short order.
0: And and what's the contempt? issue, though, that he isn't not providing over. the, information the documents, documents that he
1: should in the duly authorized process of oversight, which is a very important role of the legislature, of the Congress, and he, they're not cooperating as many White Houses don't cooperate.
2: And then Obama is claiming executive privilege, which is just a term that it then brings out yeah. the whole history of every president kind of who's ever reach. claimed and it. And, the know, sometimes security. they win, sometimes and, uh, they lose, but, but it always makes headlines.
0: By the way, both the Waco case, remember that awful Randy Weaver case yes. in the mountains in Idaho, when those documents finally came forward, it sort of changed the sympathies of you know what actually happened in favor of the, the, the you know the people who were you know hold up in in one sense or even if they were nutty in their beliefs, you know the way the government approached it was really unbelievable. Oh, the, the awful.
1: Waco was incredible. Well, so was that people.
0: Randy Weaver thing.
1: Yeah, that was crazy.
0: Yeah. Well,
2: this hasn't reached that level, I think, of. of uh you know, penetrating the public consciousness. Not yeah. yet, anyway. Yeah.
0: All right, talking to Peter Blute and Joan Venaki, we're going to take a short break. When we continue more politics as usual, Whitey Bulger, the lawyer, is so far behind he wants to st- set the trial date for a year from now instead of this November. We'll talk about that. And Salda Macy's travails in a North Carolina prison undergoing a rigorous treatment for tongue cancer. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show from 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio.
3: Funding for our programs comes from you. And Aviv Centers for Living, committed to providing the rehabilitation care you need for the results you want. Aviv will open a new campus in Peabody in the fall. For more information, you can visit avivliving.org. And Blake and Associates, attorneys focused on individual matters, individual advice, and individual solutions. They listen. They understand the issues you face when assisting a vulnerable loved one. More info at blakelaw.com. And the members of the WGBH Sustainer Program, whose gifts of 5 10 or $20 a month make up the most reliable income for the programs you love on 89.7. Learn more about sustaining membership at WGBH.org. He
4: goes for the jocula vein, not the jugula vein.
3: <laughs> Insights, ideas, and opinions about issues rooted here in Boston.
4: He is irreplaceable, Barney Frank. He's able to take an issue and take his opponent and his argument and turn it into a joke, which is the most devastating thing.
3: Local issues, local talk. 89.7 WGBH.
4: Boston Public Radio. Visit WGBH.org right now and you can enter to win a trip for two to England where you'll visit High Clear Castle, known to viewers all over the globe as Downton Abbey from the hit Masterpiece series. Prize includes round-trip flight on Lufthansa, four-night luxury accommodations, and a private tour of High Clear, led by Lady Carnarvon herself, afternoon tea included. But act fast. The contest ends on June 29th. Visit
3: WGBH.org to learn more. Great question. That is a great question.
5: And that's a great question.
3: It's a great question. What a great question.
5: On Fresh Air, you'll hear unexpected questions and unexpected answers. This afternoon at 2, here on 89.7 WGBH.
0: You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. It's politics as usual this Monday afternoon. I'm joined here in the studio by Boston Globe columnist Joan Venaki and former Massachusetts congressman Peter Blute. And I'm going to stretch into the political arena the Whitey Bulger case because, let's face it, this is a federal case. There is no way they're going to force them to make this case go to trial in November. the, The attorneys are arguing that they have to go through Tens of thousands of pages of documents, which include 16 years on the lam, plus, you know, the 20 or 30 years Whitey Bulger and his gang were in operation before that. You know, I think we'd all like to see them get on with it. It was a year, it was a year ago this month that Whitey Bowser and Catherine Gregg were picked up and arrested. Catherine Gregg has already been tried. or Actually, she pled guilty, but they're going to have to grant this. Do you agree, Peter?
1: I think some extension, no doubt. Uh, you know, the Globe had the pictures of all the victims yeah. the other day, oh, wow. and I went oh, through yeah. them all. And I said, wow, what a tragedy for those families. But I wonder how many are not on there that, you know, oh. maybe if they did that, they probably killed more people.
2: Well, at a certain point, though, the, the man should be brought to trial. I mean he's delayed trial for 16 That's years. True. How much longer are we going to wait? Is it going to take 16 years to go through all the paperwork and all the documentation? I mean that really is you know if I were related to one of the victims is he ever going to be brought to justice? Yeah, I he's mean so can he's he's he just you know, kick he is. the you know the can down the street for, you know forever and ever until he is an old man. I mean does he die before he's brought to justice. That would not be justice.
1: And they were fairly tough on uh, his girlfriend there. I think uh, so. They were tough on her. They Maybe not tough enough, They didn't though. give in on a lot of points to her. So. Well,
2: I mean, she's on her way to jail for eight years. And, you know, he's still, they're still filing motions asking for a delay. I, I don't know. I wouldn't be that open to the idea of delay.
0: I mean, and once again, how does this work? You know, I think the lawyer is Kevin Reddington, is that correct? But Who's paying him? How, how does this operate? I mean, Moity Bolger had money. He had $800,000 in the wall of his condo, but the feds took that.
1: It's how, evidence, you know? right?
0: So, I mean, d- does he give up all his other cases so that there's, he's working on nothing else for a year?
2: Well, that's maybe why he can't get to all the documents because he's got the other clients. <laughs> but I don't know. A year's delay, uh, and then they're going to come back and ask for another year's delay.
1: Oh, I don't know about
0: that.
2: That's not going to work.
1: <laughs> I'm wondering how much new information is going to come out during this this trial that we don't know. Probably that, a lot already has Yeah. that we
0: don't know about because it hasn't been revealed yet. But my guess is, you know, there's going to be a lot more new information.
1: Terrible uh, period in our history, our joint history, you know, mm-hmm. where the mixture of politics and government got corrupted. And it was a bad period. Speaking
0: of corruption in government, you were— in the the house when uh, Sal D'Amici was there. What, what's your take on this now? He's got this onerous form of tongue cancer. He's undergoing um, chemotherapy, radiation. He's, had, he's gone through some horrible procedures already. Now he's in North Carolina. The, there there was definitely a delay in uh, the treatment of him. The question for his lawyers is, was it significant enough that the Bureau of Prisons have proven themselves incapable of uh, offering him uh, adequate treatment, but what's your take on this whole? Well, thing I, you
1: side? know, I I think there are some humanitarian considerations here, no doubt. If he is in stage four, which is I guess one of the worst uh, levels, you're basically have a time clock ticking. Um, then I think it, you know, in cases like that, it wouldn't be so. Unbelievable to see him released for the final his final days, months, uh, doubtful it would go a year. That's what that stage means. Um, he's not a threat to anybody, I don't think. Um, the point has been made that you violated the law and we can't allow that and you've gotten this uh... – so I mean – you know, I would want to see it scrutinized, the, the the request. Well, I'm on the
2: side of mercy on this one. I mean, even Howie Carr came out and wrote a yeah. column saying, bring <laughs> Sal home. Yeah, That's got to be yeah. a first. I don't – they've made their point. He's, you know, he got an eight-year prison term. Uh, I don't – they seem like they've gone out of their way to continue making an example of somebody who didn't kill anybody. Uh, he didn't do anything. I mean, he he stole money. Um, there are probably people that have done a lot worse that have gotten out of jail a lot sooner and might even have gotten better treatment in terms of getting an assignment closer to home. But they've gone out of their way to be as tough as possible on them, and I don't know why, but it seems like about it's, federal... it's worthy of at least some reconsideration. I was
0: talking to a federal prosecutor last week, though, who said that once you're in the system, once you are in that Bureau of Prisons, and if it's not state, it's federal, it's not up to Judge Wolfe. I mean they could go back at Judge Wolf and ask for humanitarian consideration, but he can't make any ruling about it. So he was just saying how hard it is once you're in this system – Unless, so it's
1: up to the Bureau of Prisons yeah, to...
0: Yeah, or lawyers to prove that the Bureau of Prisons has failed in its duty to, to offer him well, adequate have treatment. Have the
2: prosecutors I, even tried to make that case? I think case? they're going to. They haven't yet. No. I mean, they've argued against every request for any kind of leniency or mercy true. in yeah. his case. So, I mean, if they're going to at least join the cause, that would be a good thing, I think. Well, the but, prosecutors
0: would have to get on board with that. The, but up, to this, is point, asking, up no. to
2: this point, the prosecutors haven't, to my knowledge.
0: They're not going to. They're not going to, you know... Look at him with any kind of mercy at all. I mean, did, why would they? They got what they wanted. They think, you know. And, and, and this whole question about whether, you know, the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office also knew that he, you know, had all these issues because they were the ones who were moving him around. You know, he spent almost six weeks on the road, which is ridiculous. And apparently, every van. time
1: he was going to get treatment, oh, it's time to go. Yeah, yeah. no, that's and exactly so they, right. They skipped him and yeah. sent him to the next. He's kept place. in solitary confinement. Right. I mean, they the also, the
2: conventional wisdom is that because he was not helpful to their cause, their investigation, they were punishing. That's him. why yeah. they, you know, they punished him more. Well, if that's the way the system works, the system isn't right. Whether it's you know Macy or someone else,
0: yeah. But you know, who's going to look at that and say the system isn't right? You know. I, I always rail about this because the, whether it's Department of Corrections, the Bureau of Prisons, whatever they are the most, the least transparent, you know, bureaucratic agency, we all just go along with it.
2: Well, that, just because they are doesn't mean that people should just accept that. We it, do
0: I, accept it. We as journalists accept it too. You know, well, Romney was the I one who made those rules about journalists. I've ju-
2: written columns saying it's wrong. You can't go <laughs> they just into prisons. You can't to take me the yet. camera
0: into prisons. You know. You you have no rights as a journalist when it comes to getting inside the – I'm a big believer in televising executions. Well, why not? It's the federal government at work. Why not? Or the state government at work. Not in our case, but
1: – But they're still not. required to respond to FOIA requests, right, as a government agency? I they think. don't. But they just delay them? Or they they, they blow you up FOIA is one thing, but if, you,
0: if you're trying to get into a prison to do an interview or have access to a prisoner, you know, the state law has just said you, you have no right.
1: That brings up an interesting question. Will Whitey ever be able to give a one-on-one interview to somebody?
0: Well, the federal prisons don't have the same rules. Remember, what's his name? Uh, he was put to death for uh, Oklahoma City, blanking on his name. You know, the guy who, T- Tim McVeigh. He gave a final interview. Yes he did, yeah. And but he was in the federal system, which is not the same as the state.
2: Well Whitey Bulger, an accused serial murderer, is getting better treatment than Sal DeMacy, you know, convicted of stealing How do you, know? you know, some money. Well, first of all, he's closer to home. His relatives can visit him, right? He he's not in Kentucky or North True. Carolina. He's in what a Plymouth. Yeah. I know, he's charged. He's not been found guilty of anything yet, so he's not convicted. But just on those grounds, they probably alone argue that you have
0: to be closer to the court system if you're before you go through. You know, so they need to have him closer. They can't be transporting him from. Uh Kentucky every time. All right, Joan Venaki, Peter Blute, more to come on that case. Thanks so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. All right, well, most of us have some opinion about seniority and how much it should affect her when it comes to determining pay and job status, but what about in the classroom? We'll talk with one local teacher who says jobs need to go to the most effective educators, regardless of age or experience. listening to the Emily Grunio Show from 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio.
3: WGBH programs exist because of you and the Boston Speakers Series, seven evenings at Symphony Hall with a lineup of speakers that includes two former presidents, a New York Times best-selling author, a miracle survival story, and much more. BostonSpeakersSeries.org and Ellis Insurance, Direct Tire and Auto Service, and Subaru of New England sponsoring News and Talk on 89.7. To learn how WGBH can benefit your business, visit wgbh.org/sponsorship.
6: On the
2: next Callie Crossley Show, we'll meet Dr. Timothy Lepre, the only full-time surgeon on Nantucket. He's the island's doctor, nurse, psychologist, and the one guy who you can call at any hour to treat a wound or to heal your heart. And if you can't afford it, just give him some homemade cookies. A doctor essential to a community when medicine is increasingly money-driven and impersonal. That's today at 1 on WGBH.
4: On Saturday, July 14th, folks from all around will be heading down to WGBH's studios in Brighton for the WGBH Fun Fest. Meet your favorite PBS kids characters, rock out to fun family music, and enjoy plenty of ice cream from all your local favorites. There's even a bouncy house. And the best part is, a family four-pack of tickets can be yours for a gift of just $30
3: online at wgbh.org/funfest. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdahl, and starting Monday, July 2nd, we're really excited that Marketplace joins the WGBH news lineup at 6 o'clock every weekday. Marketplace, here at First in Boston at 6 on 89.7 WGBH Boston Public Radio.
0: You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. What should be the reason to hire or keep a teacher? Seniority? Or talent. Well, last week, the Boston City Council passed a resolution in support of pending state legislation that will remove seniority as the controlling factor in hiring teachers. Of course, this topic has been debated for a long, long time, and it's traditionally pitted young teachers against older ones. I'm joined here in the studio by uh, Boston City Councilor John Connolly. Paul Toner, who's the president of the Massachusetts Teachers' Alliance, and Adam Gray, a high school math teacher who's been vocal about this issue. He teaches at Boston Latin. We're also going to take your phone calls this half hour. We particularly like to hear from teachers or former teachers about what you've observed uh, regarding the seniority uh, hiring uh, issue and teachers getting bumped from school to you know, from school, to school. those people who have tenure. Are you young, energetic teachers? Are these people any good or what does seniority really say? Weigh in at 877 301 8970. 877 301 8970. City Councilor John Connolly, starting with you. What, what did the uh, City Council resolution actually stay, say last last week?
7: Well, it was a statement that uh, the Boston City Council and a, a reflection as the legislative body for the, for the uh, City of Boston, the City of Boston supports the compromise legislation up at the State House that needs to be passed by July 3rd to avoid a contentious ballot question, Uh, and it was a statement that we ought to put the quality of teaching ahead of seniority when it comes to hiring, and the reason why this resonates in Boston is that each year, uh, under the current uh, rules in our teachers' contract um, and uh, due to current uh, state law, we lose hundreds of uh, talented young teachers um, and, and not tied to their performance in the classroom, but just uh, uh, rules that dictate that we go by seniority first. And then the second piece that plays out we don't talk a lot about is we then place over 200 last year uh, teachers out of our excess pool. And these are teachers who are placed in schools without uh, the principal, the parent, or the school community having any input in that teacher going in. And so oftentimes they'll re- directly replace Uh, a teacher who was doing a great job at that school. And then in the case of uh, Adam Gray, the numbers we can't track are tenured teachers who lose their positions because while they're tenured, they're lower on the seniority uh, list. And uh, we've seen that happen uh, in the past couple of years uh, and, you know, devastating effect on school culture.
0: Adam, what would you like to see happen?
8: Well, uh, like uh, City Councilor Connolly, um, I would like to see... um teacher performance as measured by teacher evaluations taken... By uh,
0: students or by somebody? By by, by
8: administrators, by administrators. Um, I would like to see uh, teacher retention um, when there's a reduction in force. I would like for the primary reason um, or the primary decision based on teacher retention to come from teacher evaluations rather than seniority alone. Um, I think that this conversation obviously... Uh, is it's usually framed by people that we hear from most, Pitt's younger, cheaper teachers versus older, uh, more seasoned veterans. And I actually d- don't think that that's healthy for the teaching profession or for how our unions are perceived in the, in the uh, public opinion. Um, a perfect example of that, I was working at Monument High School, which was a, a struggling school in South Boston for five years. And at the end of last year, Monument was closed due to restructuring in the district. And in that process, I was displaced. Um, and uh, about a month after that, I was selected as the Massachusetts Teacher of the Year. So I went from one of the lowest performing schools in the state of Massachusetts, and was then hired at Boston Latin School, which was is the, one of the highest performing schools in the state of Massachusetts. And so this story has has uh, has gotten a lot of attention because I was identified as or selected as yeah. the Teacher of the Year, but. I'm not. I'm just one of many. My mentor teacher, who had twice as much experience as me um, and probably was more consistently effective than I was, was also displaced despite the fact that he had 10 years that of I experience.
0: That I don't understand. I don't understand the play- All right, Phones are ringing off the hook, but I want to hear from uh, Paul Toner a second. But go ahead and weigh in at 877-301-8970. 877-301-8970. Paul Toner, you're the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Alliance. What, why... Why is the seniority system so necessary, in your opinion?
9: So uh, it's actually the Mass Teachers Association, uh, not the alliance. But uh, we approached this issue because a ballot initiative was uh, filed that would have 31 uh, very detrimental uh, aspects to it. And uh, we have now worked on legislation that just deals with two issues, and the main issue being uh, layoffs in a school district, Uh, being uh, not just about seniority, but uh, the primary thing that has to be looked at is indicators of quality of teaching and performance, needs of school and needs of district. Uh, In fact, there is no statewide seniority law here in Massachusetts. These rules have come up in contracts through local collective bargaining. Mm -hmm. So unlike other states like New York and Illinois where they've had statewide seniority laws, we don't have that. Uh, Two-thirds of the MTA contracts actually already have quality and performance and other measures as uh, uh, primary factors in these decisions with seniority being one or a secondary factor tiebreaker. Uh, so although we don't like the uh, ballot initiative uh, tactic uh, that was used to bring this forward, uh, we are uh, supportive of this legislation. Do you the, do support it? Uh, yes. The MTA helped mm-hmm. craft this legislation. And so what's wrong
0: with it? Well, uh, who's against it?
9: Uh, well, we're not against it. We've worked very hard to move it forward, and uh, we discussed this for months and months and months uh, internally at MTA with our, our board of directors at our annual meeting. Uh, it's a challenging. It's a very emotional issue because, uh, you know, the issue of seniority, as Adam said, it appears that uh, when people talk about it the way they do in the press, it sounds like you're blaming veteran teachers for all the, the woes of public education, and that's, uh, that's certainly wrong.
0: I don't understand why there's so much bumping around to begin with. If you're already placed in a school, is it a preference system? Do you say where you want to return the next year? If you have already hired at Boston Latin, you can get bumped out of there, you know? I don't
9: understand that. It's based – honestly, in most districts, based on funding. It's it's really a matter of uh, – It changes
0: that dramatically from uh, semester to semester, uh, or year to year?
9: Year to year, yes. Uh, And uh, there have been uh, changes uh, in demographics in school systems that cause, for instance, you have three second-grade teachers in a school, and and next year you only need two second-grade teachers. Well, that third second-grade teacher needs to have a position somewhere in the school district. The the issue is, is are you an employee of the school district or are you an employee of the school? Of
7: the school. And as we've moved, uh, what we've seen happen in Boston and the economic downturn is as we've faced tough uh, budgetary circumstances, you can take a school uh, and look and say, so they are going to have to get rid of six teaching positions in the school. Uh, so the first place they're going to go under the current rules and under our contract is they're going to look at what we call provisional teachers, teachers with, lo- with less than three years experience. They're non-tenured. They'll be the first six cut if you've got six provisionals. Now, it's got to be within the subject area, but they'll be the first six to go. Um, but what we won't look at is their performance in the classroom. Now, if you've got you know fewer provisionals. Then you're going to start working uh, along seniority lines for for tenured positions. And so when Monument High School was merged with another high school, it triggered this event where the 2012 Teacher of the Year loses his teaching position. His mentor at uh, nine years at the time loses his teaching position. Uh, and another key member of their team, a woman uh, ten years in, loses her position and has since left the profession. And so while Adam ultimately, because he's a tenured teacher, lands at Boston Latin, the kids in Boston who needed Adam the most – lose his teaching. And, and and one thing, Adam's very humble, but uh, he started an honor society at Monument High School. It began to reverse a high absentee trend mm-hmm. among students. It uh, began to raise GPAs uh, and was part of the reason he was honored as the teacher of the year. But under these antiquated Uh, rules in Boston, uh, this plays out every year. There's one, one school we've got where they had 12 open positions and six of them on the secondary part. So you've cut these teachers. But other times, we're just responding to an excess pool, teachers who couldn't, weren't hired directly. Uh, we had 12 open teaching positions at a school. Six of those positions were placed centrally or administratively through our access because pool. Because
0: you had leftover
7: people yeah, in seniority. And, and principals had no right. choice who was going into the classroom.
0: The, as I said, the phones are ringing off the hook. I'll come back to you in a second, Adam. But uh, the, we're taking your calls at 877 301 301 I want to go to Jeremy in Warwick, who actually he's an unemployed teacher who supports seniority. Go ahead, Jeremy.
4: Hi. Hi. Uh, I just feel like, especially as an unemployed teacher, uh, I'm very disappointed that I graduated last year and there simply were no jobs, especially in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, looking at schoolspring.com, the uh, major source of finding jobs for teachers, I only found four full-time teaching positions for history teachers in all of the last summer versus looking at all of the mass firings and so on. Uh, but to get direct, uh, more directly to the point, uh, when you take a look at a system where senior teachers are treated, and I, I think it's terrible that younger teachers are treated as effectively disposable, but to really destroy the teaching profession would be to treat senior teachers as disposable based on more or less arbitrary uh, criteria. So someone who has uh, decades in the teaching profession Simply thrown out of the schools, and once you're out of the school system, yep. especially if uh, you're older, then it's so much harder to begin again, mm. and, and that really
6: discourages. Yeah, I'm going to bring Adam people.
0: into this because you don't even know okay. why you're being bummed. It could be that you're making too much money. So why don't you address that, Adam? Right. Because the older teachers are senior, in senior in the system. They're making more money. And it could be an arbitrary system put in place if there's
8: no seniority. Sure. And I want to respond to Jeremy. Jeremy, thank you for that question. I think it's a, it's a great question. I'm going to respond to that by asking um, President Turner and City uh, Councilor Connolly a question as well. Um, I, so I submitted an op-ed that was uh, published in the Boston Globe last Tuesday, and I've gotten a lot of uh, positive response. And then there was a lot of negative response as well. And I've reached out to probably nine uh, more seasoned veteran teachers who challenged me to think about – how, how can we ensure that budgets don't drive high stakes decisions? How can we ensure that if you have an effective teacher with 15, 20 years of experience, that that person is not pushed out of the profession so that administrators can bring in younger, cheaper teachers? Um, and, and it's a great question. It's a valid point. So I'm actually going to um, ask these two gentlemen that are here with me today, how can we how can we eliminate incentives that that might be used to get rid of the more, uh, quote-unquote, I would argue that there's no such thing as an expensive teacher, by the way. (laughs) But um, how can we ensure that our teachers that cost more on average are not evaluated out just because they cost more? Um,
9: Well, I'd like to take a stab at that. Um, First of all, this whole piece of legislation, uh, you know, dealing with this issue is based on our new evaluation regulations uh, that were uh, uh, adopted by the Board of Education last June and which are being developed and negotiated and and rolled out across the state in different districts. And the the first thing that has to happen is somebody has to be evaluated. There has to be thoughtful evaluations done. And I I would argue that the real problem in the system has been a failure of supervision and evaluation – where, quite honestly, there, people aren't uh, in some places they do a great job but in many other yeah. places they it's don't use it. It's an onerous task. It's an onerous task, you know, being you know, uh, uh, giving people constructive mm-hmm. feedback or honest feedback. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, what we're trying to do, the MTA has been trying to do, is make sure that this new evaluation system, which is comprehensive, is really a 360 evaluation. It, in, it includes s- some aspects of student performance but it has student and parent feedback. It has uh, teacher mm-hmm. self-reflection. You've got
0: to get everybody in on the act. And, they, they, have the be,
9: and they have to be Trained well to do it. Um, I'm I, my my assurance to uh, veteran teachers is that you're not going to be laid off uh, just be you know at a whim. There has to be evaluations and performance uh, measures uh, and quality of teaching examined before you even get to that discussion.
0: Right, we got a lot of calls here on the line. I'm going to go to Aaron and Quincy. Go ahead, Aaron.
6: Hi. Good afternoon. Uh, I just wanted to, to weigh in with my story. I got a teaching job right out of college, and I taught for about a year in public school, and then uh, it came time for budgetary cuts and reviews, and I was let go from that position, but um, I was able to find another position after being unemployed for about a year with a private company tutoring in, in the hospitals, and let me tell you, I definitely understand where a lot of the school districts are coming from as far as what they can budget, um, just seeing what they can budget just for special education and sort of the the obstacles that they run into there as well. I think it's really tough these days on schools to try to figure out where to put funding.
0: Did you lose your job fit. because of, was it a seniority issue? Did you get bumped because of seniority?
6: Yes, I believe so. And
0: and you weren't upset um, you weren't upset by that.
6: I was I was very upset. <laughs> I was, you know, a, a new starry-eyed teacher. I was ready to go. I was ready to change the world and then after a year of unemployment and and searching around and subbing at all different kinds of areas. It was a great way to gain more experience, but it also left me a little bit more lost and a little bit more, uh, you know, I didn't know where to go. I, I didn't know if it was good to get a master's right away or if I was going to get picked up by another district, would it just be Happen a again. matter of a year, yep. you know, before yep. I got bumped again? So I, I found my solace in a private company uh, doing what I love to do, teaching what I love to do the students that most of the district's kick out. <laughs> hmm. But, uh, you know, I think that it's it's going to be a struggle, especially in a place like Massachusetts with all of the teacher colleges pumping out new teachers every year. Hmm. There's only X amount of spaces. All
0: right, Erin, thanks. Thank
6: I, you. I, I, I think, kinda that,
7: you know, the core piece here that we need to see is that, you know, if you're a great teacher who's been teaching for 25 years, we don't, want, we don't want to lose that teacher. And if you're a great teacher who's been teaching for two and a half years, we don't want to lose that teacher. And it's to put the premium on quality and recognize um, that this doesn't have to be an either or proposition between younger and older teachers, but a focus on quality. And what you have to do there is, as I think um, Paul Toner pointed out, is you've got to put uh, routine thoughtful evaluations into place. And one thing I can say where, you know, while I've uh, frequently uh, at odds with the Boston Teachers Union, uh, who has not embraced this uh, proposal. Um, I thought they were kind of neutral on it. Well, the AFT went neutral, but I I would say the – well, uh, I should say initially the American Federation of Teachers Massachusetts and the BTU being a local under that came out and blasted it initially. They then sort of moved to neutrality basically saying, hey, it's going to pass. We can't stop it, so we'll be neutral. But the BTU has really yet to state clearly Mm -hmm. where they stand. They sort of have grudgingly said it's going to pass. We wish there was more opposition to it. Um, And uh, when we took the vote in the council last week with all this seeming neutrality, the vote was eight to five uh, with the political director for the BTU sitting in the chamber, you know, one of very few people sitting in the chamber watching the vote very closely. Mm. And so um, I don't think it's quite fair to say that everybody's neutral. or I would or, guess they were not. Yeah. Um, but I'd say you've you got to put thoughtful evaluation into place. You've got to train yeah, well, the evaluators. But the other piece here is seniority can be a tiebreaker. Uh, if you have two two you know that. great yeah. teachers, seniority ought to be the tiebreaker. And the other piece is there's ways we can set up our budgeting at schools not to penalize um, a school's budget, an individual school's budget, because they've got a veteran teacher who who makes a, mm-hmm. a higher salary as that veteran teacher deserves to make.
0: All right, we're getting a lot of calls on this. Um, a lot of people feel very emotional about it, and we've got Tracy from Newburyport who went through a review that didn't work out for you too well. You were there to 12 years, was it, Tracy?
5: Uh, Well, I'm 12 years in the system of teaching now, but I was there for nine years. And myself and a number of colleagues were targeted by administrators that abused their power. They did not use the evaluation system properly. And they found – so my suggestion is that there should be a panel that reviews teachers, not just one person that can abuse power because there were many people within the system that I was in that got targeted that were tenured. Because Because you were
0: making too much money?
5: Well, no, it was a personal thing as far as the principal was concerned but also there was a personal thing on many levels where it was used that the evaluation system where classrooms were stacked with kids that she knew would not get along that set the teachers up for failure and then were put on remediation plans because they were tenured so they could be targeted to be let go. Hmm. And so the evaluation system itself, I now work in the Lawrence system, which you know is going through a lot of changes um, through state level, and I'm finding a lot more safety there than I did in the last system that I was in for nine years. And I think the big situation was yes i was a, a tenured teacher that was more expensive but even more so the abuse of power and the principal's concern as far as evaluating and, and having her having the only say and who was to say and go and and not having a panel of people that does this evaluation hmm. yeah. i just think it's a very right. scary situation for teachers in general i think everyone's very afraid of what's going to happen and the fact that this power can be abused and okay. it has been abused thanks Tracy. by many of my colleagues and myself adam you want to
0: address
8: that Sure. So one of the other things that I've heard from the people that I've spoken with uh, since last Tuesday and one of the powerful quotes um, that I've heard, and I'm just going to say it here on on the air, is that poor leaders want sheepish teachers and blind followers are bad for leaders and for schools. And so if I'm a leader in a school, I want to be surrounded by well-intentioned people who feel empowered to disagree with me. And so we have to to ensure that administrators are doing, as Paul pointed out, this thoughtful um, supervision and uh, administration, and we want them to – feel confident that they can speak out against what's maybe going on at the Mm -hmm. school level and not feel like they're going to be penalized in an evaluation. So I like Tracy's point about potentially being um, evaluated and supported by a panel of people that come in from the school that are neutral. I I would also –
9: sure. I would just also say that both the AFT and the MTA are very supportive of peer assistance review, peer mentor systems. They've been used successfully in other parts of the country: Montgomery County, Maryland; Rochester, New it's York. So
0: time-consuming. You have to do it every year.
9: No, no, no. This this would involve. In fact, one of the biggest complaints and principals, administrators, you know, they have a hard job to do. Many of them are overworked. Many of them are excellent at, at what they do, but uh, in the in the school systems, the problem we have is you have a principal who's responsible for thirty teachers. And in the private sector, I'm told the quote-unquote span of control is one uh, manager for every five to ten employees. So by using teachers, effective teachers, to support other teachers, Mm. that's a better
7: model.
0: Final thought, John Connolly.
7: I can support a a team of evaluators, but I think we have to, you know, just acknowledge that you can run into a situation where a principal doesn't do the right thing by evaluation. But the failing status quo right now has hurt children, and we've got to shift it to an evaluation framework.
0: All right. Adam Gray, who's a high school teacher at Boston Latin, thanks so much for being here. Mm -hmm. Paul Toner, president of the Massachusetts Teachers Alliance, and Boston City Councilor John Connolly, great issue, and thanks to the callers, too. Could have gone a whole hour on this. Phones are ringing off the hook. We'll do it again. All right. Thanks to you all. We'll be back tomorrow at noon with a look at the health care crisis. No one's talking about dental care. Stay with us now for the Kelly Crossley Show coming out next. And tonight on my television show, Greater Boston, our special one guest series continues. Tonight, former State Senator Jarrett Berrios on his rise from beginnings to the state senate to a vocal leader of the gay and lesbian community. That's tonight at 7 on Channel 2. The Emily Rooney Show is a production of WGBH Radio. On the web at WGBH.org. Boston Public Radio. I'm Emily Rooney. Have a great afternoon.